Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode nine of the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and as always, thank you for joining me. I'm happy you're here. I'm going to start this episode a little different today because I want to give my guests as much time as possible. You know, I feel big today, and there's really no other way to describe it. You know, it's sort of like, you know, how, how Lil Wayne described it when Hove jumped on his Mr. Carter track back, back on the Carter 3, and I know my guests will appreciate that. Um, when the big homie agrees to bless you with some heat, you just have to take advantage of that moment. So that's the space I'm in today, and I want to thank today's guest for being so kind to, to find some time in his busy, busy schedule to come on the podcast and join me. Uh, you've read him in the Boston Globe. You've seen him on NFL Countdown. You've seen him on Around the Horn. You've seen him on E60, Numbers Never Lie, His and Hers, and you've seen him most recently uh, on The Six. Uh, but what you don't see that often is how much of an awesome father uh, and husband he is. And, and with all that said, it's my honor to welcome Michael Smith to the fatherhood. My man, welcome. Hey, man, can you do my eulogy? Um, I mean, <laughs> hopefully no time soon, but uh, I, I want to enlist you for that responsibility when the time uh, does come. And it's good to be here, man. Thank you for the introduction. Um, way too generous because it really is my pleasure to be doing this. Uh, you know, you and I go way back to when we were both coming up uh, in those Bristol streets. And uh, Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, no, I love flies, man. yeah, I love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I love this subject, you know, it's my, it's my favorite thing to be, you know, like I, one of the things, you know, first, first and foremost, like when it comes to just my identity as a person, I never liked identifying myself, introducing myself, uh, or being referred to as ESPN's Michael Smith, uh, because they don't own me and that's not who I am. I just happen to draw a check from them. Um, but yeah, along those lines, I often like to introduce myself as Savannah Mason and Maya's dad, you know, because because yeah. those are the real stars in my household as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and so when when you when you uh, when you you blessed me to be able to discuss my my real passion uh, with the with the fellow father. And congratulations! This is my first time actually talking. To Appreciate you that, man. Since you joined the Appreciate club, it. like we we've, we've messaged and text or whatever. But congratulations! How old is the baby now? He'll be three months uh, when this podcast drops. So, man, Tom is flying. He starts daycare next week. Um, the wife um, ends, ends maternity leave, so she's about to transition back into, you know, going to work. So it, it's been an awesome experience. I've, I've said that on previous episodes. It's been an awesome experience. Every day is something new. Yep. But, you know, I, I, I look up to guys like you and try to model, you know, some of my fatherhood approaches by what I see you guys doing. So it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's one that I've, I'm excited to take on every day, my man. That's fantastic, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy every minute. I want another one. My wife, she won't let me be great. You know, like she's closed <laughs> up shop. Like she got her third, yeah. her second girl. And she's like, no. I'm like, well, we could adopt. She's like, no. You know, yeah. like, so yeah. I, I want another child in the worst way because my oldest one my, my youngest one excuse me my oldest one don't want to do with us half the time she's 12 going on 22 she she thinks and looks like a woman and she's 12 my 10 year old son that's my that's my best friend right there that's my buddy that's my guy my six-year-old day by day man she just gets so much taller and so much more articulate and i see that baby like leaving so that's why whenever she asks to get on my shoulders as heavy as she is i put her up on my shoulders wherever we are and walk wherever we're walking around. And she still, from time to time, will get up and wander into our room in the middle of the night. And she always comes to my side and either sleeps on my outside or in between me and my wife. And it drives my wife crazy that my six-year-old still sleeps with us from time to time. And I'm like, you just gonna have to deal with that because if, if ain't nothing going down between me and you, if she ain't interrupting nothing, which the door should have been <laughs> locked anyway, if she ain't interrupting nothing, this is it. And and before you know it, she's going to be in her room with her headphones on or on her phone like the 12 year old is. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm trying to cherish yeah. every moment of, of their fleeting 
you know, childhood because they it, it, people say they grow up fast. You have to be a parent to understand how fast it really is. And I know you already know that now. Three months is flown by, I'm sure. It's going, going by so fast, man. I mean, you know, he was born on a Friday and we're, I think, 12 weeks today, 12, 13 weeks today. And I, I still remember that day, you know, like it was yesterday. And, you know, we're, we're coming up on three three months now. So it is time goes by fast, man. So I can only imagine how you feel having some some kids who are much older than, than mine. But uh, Mike, let me just ask you, you know, you've kind of touched on a little bit, but what does a father being a father mean to you? Ooh, um. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in terms of responsibility. Um, it means getting these three children to adulthood with as few scars as possible, uh, emotional, psychological, and physical scars as possible at, at bare minimum. Bare minimum, that's my job. To, 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 because I think it was, uh, you know, who was it? Was it Frederick Douglass? I think it was Frederick Douglass uh, say that it's much easier to, to fix children and broken adults or something to that effect. Um, I, I probably didn't do that quote exact justice, but that's the gist of it um, is that, you know, when it comes to my daughters, I'm directly responsible for how they view themselves, how they view men and how they expect to be treated by men vis-a-vis how they, how I treat them and how they see me treating their mom. When it comes to my son, I'm directly responsible for how he views himself, how he views women, and how he treats women and expects to be treated by women. Okay. And last but not least, actually, number one, I am the living embodiment of what my children uh, will believe to be their relationship with, 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 Jesus, with Jesus Christ is. By that, I mean, in order for us to truly identify God as father and have a relationship with God as father and not just God as master, God as judge, God, a God of wrath, a God, a God of, of anger, that has a direct correlation with your relationship with your father. So it's, it's, it's very, very hard to, to, to conceptualize and relate to God on a level of love, forgiveness, compassion, um, relationship. If you grew up with a father who was all anger, wrath, um, you know, violence, absence, whatever. And so, you know, I, I have to take everything I say and do has to come from love. Um, and it is my responsibility just to continue to build them up, build up their self-confidence, their self-esteem. Um, you know, we talk off mic about um you know, my, my, my recent travels, you know, I, I'm doing the best I can to, to raise global citizens, uh, to just expose them uh, to cultures and situations and, 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 and people and circumstances um, that either I hadn't been exposed to or that they otherwise wouldn't see. And so uh, it's in short, it's an awesome responsibility, but it's but it's also, uh, as you know, already extremely fulfilling. Um you know, to see them grow and and develop uh, and 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 interact and and you know to watch to to hear neighbors talk about how friendly and outgoing my son is. You know, when it really does do your heart joy when when teachers you know talk about what a joy it is to have your daughters and your son in in their classroom, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? So I'm just I'm trying to just raise good people. You know, I'm trying to raise people that are better than me, if, if, the, if you know, as best I can. Yeah, that, that voice you hear today on The Fatherhood is Michael Smith joining me today on the podcast. I'm glad to have him. Mike, you know, it's, it's well documented. You grew up in New Orleans. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, growing up and when it was time for you to get married and eventually have a family of your own, who did you look to as fatherhood uh, inspiration? Who taught you? Um who are your role models when it came to being a father? Yeah, it was interesting, man, because, you know, I come from, I guess, technically a broken home. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 10, but I had no shortage of father figures. So, you know, let's start with my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, uh, who was a, a pastor. He pastored Historic Second Baptist Church for over five decades in uptown New Orleans. And so my, my mom is his, is his baby girl, his, his youngest of three children. 
um, he passed away back in 96. But so even before my parents divorced and they separated quite a bit before they finally divorced when I was 10, you know, I grew up, I was born as they like to say, not literally, but they used to like to tell me I was born in their house, in my grandparents' house. So I grew up with my grandparents a lot. And so I, I saw, you know, uh, a godly, fruitful, uh, committed marriage of over, you know, of, of over five decades of 60 years, day in and day out with my grandparents, right? So that's one. Yeah. My uncle Kenneth, um, he's still with us. He lives in Houston now. Um, my uncle, my mom's older brother, uh, was more like a father to me growing up than he was just an uncle. Uh, eventually, he ended up living with my grandparents, and we spent a lot of time together. Um, and then when I was about 11, so not long after my, my parents divorced, my mom remarried and, and married my stepdad. And, um, you know, he is that, that quintessential guy who raised somebody else's children as his own, you know? Um, so... And he, he was an amazing example. And and last but certainly not least is, is my dad. My dad, even though they divorced, was still very present and very accessible and very much around. So those were the core four, if you will, father figures that I had growing up. Not to mention, again, I grew up in the church. So, you know, I mm-hmm. had deacons, you know, I had I had uh, ushers and, and, and I had people who looked after me as the as the, as the preacher's grandson, as, as the pastor's grandson who looked after me. Then I went to, uh, my education was such where, um, you know, obviously New Orleans is, is a very black city. You know what I mean? The, 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 our, our culture yeah. dominates New Orleans, um, even though it's been, you know, gentrified quite a bit since Hurricane Katrina. But back then, uh, I attended what was uh, the, uh, the first school for African-Americans, high school for African-Americans in New Orleans. It was an all-black high school. Like I had my HBCU experience in high school. I went to all black. It was McDonough 35 <laughs> senior high school. And so the teachers there, you know, like you and I grew up in a different age, man. We grew up when the teachers took part in raising children. You know what I mean? And when teachers had the green light, if necessary, to put their hands on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when the village raised us, they were part of that village. So I had teachers, male and female teachers, but specifically to your question, male teachers that took an interest in me and helped guide me and mold me and keep me on a straight and narrow. So I had a, a village of men uh, wrap their arms around me and, 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 and form a, a wedge around me and, and ensure that, you know, I, I, I didn't want for anything. I, I didn't grow up rich by any means, but I certainly didn't want for anything. Um, and I had plenty of positive role models. And then when I got older, man, and I moved to Massachusetts. I, I struck up a relationship uh, with a pastor who eventually married us. He's out in San Francisco now and out in the Bay Area now. But he's been uh, like a father figure. He's, he's, a, he's my spiritual father. He's been like a father figure to me uh, in my adult life. And so, um, yeah, that's that's I, I didn't have to look far for uh, examples of, uh, of 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 quality upstanding men. So as as you transition from growing up in New Orleans to, you know, starting your career up in Boston, how has fatherhood changed you and your approach to life? You know, starting from, you know, you're this young guy who grew up in, in New Orleans and started your professional career in Boston. How did becoming a father, Mike, change your life? So and also I want to shout out my father-in-law. <laughs> I can't forget him. Because uh, without him, I don't have this wonderful family, and and he's been an amazing um, person to learn from and lean on, and an amazing guide as I as I get older. And and now that I'm I'm closer to him than I am to my biological father, and my closer in terms of proximity than my biological father and my stepfather. Anyway, um, so I, but what's interesting is I didn't grow up even thinking about marriage or children. Never never thought about it. Um, never dreamed about it, never imagined what kind of father I would be, never said to myself, when I have kids, X, Y, and Z, none of that. Um, I met my wife um, not long after I moved to Boston. Um, I was about 21 years old. Uh, she robbed the cradle. Um, since I have the floor, I'm going to tell the story without her acting like I'm not, like my memory is fading. Uh, she stepped to me in the parking lot of a church in Boston. She stepped to me. Um, under the guise of speaking to my friend 
that she didn't really know like that, but she saw me with him. So her mm-hmm. and her girls decided they were going to walk up and say hi to him in order to meet me. And so thankfully, you know, they're shooting your shot, but you got to make sure you shoot your shot at the right basket, especially when you meet a group of women. And so, yeah. you know, thankfully I shot my shot at the right one feeling was mutual and we were dating not long after. And we were, uh, we dated for, let's see, that was old one. We got engaged in 04. We dated about three years, which meant lots and lots of nights of asking me, what are we doing? Where is this going? You know, you know mm-hmm. basically shit. Yeah. Off pot. <laughs> so, uh, and then we ended up getting married in July of 05. And my wife says it's not a honeymoon, baby. I don't know. It must have been soon after because we had our first kid in May of 06. And um, so basically what I'm saying is fatherhood just kind of like came out of nowhere for me. We didn't sit down and say how many kids we were going to have or when we were going to have kids. You know, we just got right to it, got to work. And, you know, I guess I, I, I can't miss. I'm like, I'm like Alonzo on a training day. I can't, I can't miss. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was one of those things that uh, I didn't know that I would love so much. I didn't know that I would love being a dad so much. And um, even I became a father before he did. Uh, my mentor, my older brother, my friend, this guy named Michael Holly, that I um, that I met when I got to Boston as an intern, and we ended up becoming best friends. You know, standing at each other's weddings and whatnot. Um, you know, I watched him struggle with work life balance when I was young, and I watched him miss things. Uh, under the guise of, you know, writing columns for the Globe or, or reporting for the Globe. And, and I watched that really, you know, watched him struggle with that. And, and early on, I just made a decision that I was not going to miss out on the important moments uh, of my family's life, whether it was my wife or my children, for work. And I, I think that's possible. I don't think that makes you less committed to your craft. I don't think that makes you unprofessional. But I just knew that you know, when I left this place and by this place, I mean, whether it's the Boston Globe, whether it's ESPN, whether it's this planet, that nobody was going to remember what article I wrote, you know, on Christmas when I missed Christmas to go to, you know, the first game between the Pistons and the Pacers after the Malice and the Palace. Nobody, nobody remembers that piece. Nobody's going to remember the Thanksgiving Day game that I covered. Nobody's going to remember, um, you know, uh, the the. The, the show that I was on when I missed, you know, my daughter's dance recital, but they remember, like all kids remember is were you there? You know, they don't remember what you bought them. They don't yeah. remember, yeah. you know, how much money you made. All they remember is, were you there when, when I had a game, when I had a recital, you know, when I had a, a dance, any of that kind of stuff. And so, um, my approach has always been to be present and not just present physically, but present uh, in terms of attention. And there's so many things grappling for our attention uh, nowadays, more so than even when I was a, you know, a young father, you know, um, whether it's streaming services, cell phone, computer, social media, all these different things are so easy to look up and you spend an hour of your time with. And you know, my wife had to check me on it because when I was covering the NFL back in the day, I was always on the phone, like like any insider should be. And I'd be at dinner or I'd be at home and I'd be on the phone, you know, um, you know, or I'd be on the Internet. And she had to check me on it first. But as the kids got older, especially, I realized, man, it's like when they're talking to you and, you know, when they're when they're when they're looking for your attention, you got to give them your undivided attention. It can't be. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just home, but you're not really there. So early on, I struggled with that balance, too. I would be home, but not really there. I'd be, you know, kind of off trying to break a story or or, or, key, or or get somebody in the NFL to call me back. So I made the habit of just starting to leave my phone in the car a lot of times or leave it, uh, you know, in the kitchen or, or not take it to my bedroom. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, on the phone, going to bed, that sort of thing. And that, that came with maturity, you know, uh, and, and with age, as, as that stuff became less and less appealing to me. So, you know, uh, I think your question, I'm sorry for the long answer. I think your question no. was, you know, how, how did how did my uh, approach to fatherhood change, you know, uh, once I, you know, grew up and got to Boston and got into my career? It just became an exercise in availability. Yeah. 
Michael Smith uh, is joining me today on The Fatherhood. I'm your host, uh, Jamar Hudson. Mike, one question I do have for you uh, to that point, how did you change as a father from your first child to child number three? I mean, you, you, you're around my age, you know, you're, you're, you're a young dad at child number one. How did, what did that look like for you once you got to, to your third child? Man, you know, you know who would be great to answer this question is my oldest child, because <laughs> so, Savannah, Savannah would love to answer this question because she t- she takes every opportunity to remind me inaccurately, I may add, but she loves to say or to suggest that I'm somehow different with Maya than I am with her. That Maya mm-hmm. gets away with things that Savannah never got away with, and. There's some truth to that, but it's not as dramatic as you'd like to suggest. I'm definitely softer on, yeah. on my youngest than I, I am on my oldest. Um, because, you know, I think by child number three, you become your own parent. Whereas, I'm not going to say you. I don't want to speak in general. I'm going to say this is what I struggle with. Child number one, I parented the way I was parented or the way I, I saw my parents parent me and my brother. Yeah, okay, I got one younger brother. He's twenty. He's twenty-one months younger than me. By child number three, I was parent. I had developed my own style of parenting, and so if anything, Maya's the beneficiary of a parent that's kind of that's experienced things as opposed to just trying to emulate what worked for them. And the thing about parenting is, just because you made it and you know and you grew up to be healthy and successful and, and of your right mind doesn't necessarily mean that your parents did everything right or doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only way to do it and specifically i'm talking about corporal punishment like one of the big differences is i never put my hands on my youngest child my oldest child when she was about and it was you know it was a little girl which was, which was kind of weird but when she was about three or so i spanked her a few times and um and i did the same thing with my son when he was, you know, a, a, you know, young, and it was really a, a sermon that uh, my, my the pastor I mentioned earlier, a sermon that he and his wife gave that did it, but also just watching my son develop what I was, uh, I thought I was seeing him develop, what I feared was going to be an unhealthy fear of me, as mm-hmm. in like not not just like yo my dad doesn't play, but like a a nervousness around me. And that's not the kind of relationship I wanted. I don't. I don't want to raise my son through fear. I want to raise him through love first and foremost, and respect secondarily. And so, um, but the sermon really convicted me in the stand from the standpoint of like you know, just specifically using my hands to discipline my kids, and that your you know your hands should not be associated with anything other than affection. Um, yeah, that's the only thing your kids should, should should think of when they think of your hand. So, um, I I I have yet to physically discipline. Um, not, you know what? I'm lying. I, I I popped on the behind once or twice, but like in terms of like you know a belt, you know like like I was raised with, never done it to my youngest, which is probably why she gets out of pocket so easily because she she has a <laughs> real fear of me, whereas my older two kind of remember it subconsciously. So, you know, and I've threatened it, you know what I'm saying? And, and listen, you know, listen, we, 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 we family, we in a trust tree. My oldest, my, my 12 year, my 12 year old, my 10 year old, they getting older, they get more opinionated. They've, they, they get flipped and I have popped them in the mouth. You know, I have mm-hmm. I, like, not hard, I ain't draw blood, nothing like that, but just a little pop, just to let them know like, Hey, you know, just you, you, since, since reasoning with you isn't working, you know, since talking to you and threatening to take things away from you and isn't working or just appealing to your sensibilities isn't working, just got to remind you that, hey, if necessary, you know, I'll take you out if I have to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no, that's, and that's interesting you brought that up because, you know, we, we're from the era where, where spanking was, it was considered normal. the norm. It, it, it was it, normal. It was spare the rod, spoil the child. It was absolutely it was, you absolutely had to spank. You were doing it was a dereliction of the duty if you did not yeah. spank your children. Yeah. And, but it, but it's not. I guess I just I came to realize it. It's not what I don't just because it it just because we survived it doesn't mean that that was the right yeah. thing to do mentally, psychologically to associate you know discipline with violence per se. You know, and I, I don't judge people that do. I don't judge people that do at all. But it just didn't work for me. It did. It doesn't work for me. And even when I have, like I mentioned before, recently, 
even when I have had to pop them or, 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 or grab them or anything like that, I find myself feeling so guilty and so apologetic because I'm like, OK, what did that accomplish? Yeah. Did I do it to get to because I, I got a frustration and I was at my wits end and I didn't really know, you know, what else to do at that point? Was it really effective in getting across the message that I'm trying to get across? And do I want my children to, to do things out of fear of what I might do or do I want them to do it because it's the right mm -hmm. thing? So I got to find a, a more effective means of communication other than resorting to physical violence with them. And especially with my girls, man, because, you know, my 12 year old, like, you know, the last big blow up we had, you know, and, and, I, and I, I, you know, I put my hands on her and not, again, not in a, in a, in a, in an abusive way, but I, but I, mm -hmm. but I did resort to kind of like, you know, to, to, to some physical aggression, if you will. Um, nothing that the child social services are coming at me for, I don't think, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I realized after I was like, damn, you know, like this is a young lady, and I do not want her to yeah. ever think it's cool for any man to put their hand on. And I, I'm not saying there's a correlation between, yeah. you know, partner domestic violence and and corporal punishment from a parent to a child. I'm not saying there's a correlation. I just didn't want her thinking that that was okay, you know, and that that was acceptable. And so I just felt so guilty about that. Yeah, I look at Emory at three months, and I just I just can't see myself. You know, going full fledged, you know, lay him down over my lap and spanking him, you know, a pop here and there. Yeah. But not not in a way that was done, you know, right. in, in our generation, you know, coming up. Uh, Michael Smith did is parents, joining me. Did your, parents ever say, did your parents ever say I whip because I love you? Oh, absolutely. And that's absolutely. true. Yeah. But absolutely. What I struggle with, though, is like what I struggle for me. when I, And I know that my parents love me when they did it. Yeah. But what I struggle with for me was. It doesn't feel like I'm expressing love right now. No, I don't feel yeah. very loving when I'm doing this. I think it's one of those things where it was just passed down from generation to generation, and no question, and was accepted as okay. This is what you're supposed to do. Well, I mean, look, it was it was introduced through slavery. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah. you know, yeah. so like it, it, we joke about, you know, we joke about the the switch and and the extension cords and the. You know the the the, the thick leather belts and all that kind of stuff, but I, it's not, you know that can lead. Going back to my my opening answer, you know those types of things can leave psychological scars. And uh, I'm a little rusty on some of the reading, but I remember uh, you know I did a lot of reading on it um, when I decided against doing it, and I realized just how antiquated a practice uh, you know that was. So you're listening to Michael Smith on the Fatherhood Podcast. We'll have more after the break. I'm Jamar Hudson. You know, Mike, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today in the podcast, obviously tomorrow's a Super Bowl, um, Patriots, Rams, big game. Although it's been really quiet this week. I tweeted the other day, this is kind of one of the quietest Super Bowl weeks that, that I can remember. I don't know if it's because the NBA stuff is going on, but... Um, that's why. That's absolutely yeah. why. That's absolutely why. I mean, if you, if you took the if you took the noise away from Anthony Davis and Chris Stapp, yeah. Porzingis and LeBron, and put it toward the Super Bowl, it'd be a little louder. Yeah, yeah. But you you have made your your career. You're known for you know being an outstanding sports journalist, uh, sports analyst. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the intersection of of sports and fatherhood. Anyone who's played organized sports. Growing up, no matter what level, has heard their coaches say that sports teaches you about life. And you played sports growing up and have spent your career covering sports. So I'm curious, what has sports taught you about life? Mm. Um, it's taught me uh, in real experience about uh, perseverance and uh, sacrificing for the greater good. And what it truly means to be a team player. And I learned that through through failing at that. And so what I've tried to do, um, all I've, I, I can I can I'm not perfect and I made a lot of mistakes, but I can say that I've always had the best intentions and I've always tried to do what I thought was right. I've always whether it was from a commentary standpoint, from a sports writing or sports commentary standpoint. Um, you know, a lot of my career has been spent discussing the intersection of sports and society, whether that's gender issues, racial issues, whatever, political issues, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
And while, you know, I've always appreciated if even if people don't agree with me, um, that they understand that I'm just speaking up for what I believe is right. Same with my actions. I'm always trying to just do what's right, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And so I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say in, in doing so, um, you've become very visible and a recognizable brand. <laughs> I don't know if that was your intention setting out in your career, but nonetheless, that's, that's become no. the case. Um, but as, as, no, it wasn't. As, it wasn't. as you've grown in notoriety and, you know, visibility, what did you have to change or just um, when it came to your role as a father? And I'm curious, how did your kids, I mean, were they old enough to, to recognize daddy on TV and how did, how did that dynamic work? So just real quick, just to put a bow on, on the thing before, mm-hmm. uh, the, the question before about just what is it talking about life? Yeah. It's, it's really about like, even if it's, even if there's no glory involved, even if there is no uh, credit involved, um, that there is something to be said for and there is something fulfilling and, and, and something satisfying about sacrificing for the betterment of your teammates and so what i've always tried to be in terms of my actions as a professional and as a, as a person is somebody that made everybody around me better like that's that's all i wanted to do with what is my co-host whether it was the staff whether it was you know guests my goal and what i would like to my gift to be is that people are better when they're around me so in terms of how you know how i was able to marry my, my my profession you know with my with my parenting and how my kids you know did they understand what i was doing or, or who i am is that, is that what you're wondering yeah it, it's normal to them it really and 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 i guess only recently has it become something that they've kind of realized that 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 dad um dad is recognizable I hate the word famous because I've mm-hmm. met famous people and I ain't one of them. Be <laughs> famous, man. Come on, give give yourself some credit. <laughs> uh, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, rec- I, I prefer, you know, you know, somebody that people recognize their face and like, wait a minute, are you that guy? I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person. But when they were younger, it was just so normal to see me on television. They grew up watching me on television and then walking in the door afterward and, you know, greeting me, with, you know, with excitement until they didn't really get it. But like the older they've gotten, especially when my son travels with me now, He'll take the pictures when people ask to take pictures. And what's so funny is, you know, when I first stopped doing Sports Center and I went on this kind of unofficial, you know, uh, sabbatical, whatever you want to call this period that I'm in, this whatever. Um, I went, uh, we were at a Dunkin' Donuts and my son said, So, Dad, you know, when are you going back to work? Um, I, was, I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, You want me to go back? He's like, No. He's like, But since you're not on TV, does that mean you're not famous anymore? <laughs> you know, what I mean? and even my daughter now, you know, like she's with me and she'll notice people recognizing me and, and, and that sort of thing. So they kind of get it now that dad is somebody that people know, but it hasn't been a burden to them, which is all that really matters. Like they're proud yeah. that I'm their dad, but it hasn't been something that, you know, they have to worry about being, you know, Michael Smith's children or anything like that. They haven't been under yeah. a microscope. They haven't been. Uh, identified or targeted, thank God, uh, or anything, or, or, or pressured in a way that a normal kid would. They live a very normal uh, life, with the exception of somebody speaking to their total strangers coming up to their dad or taking pictures with their dad. Other than that, it's been very normal for them, which is which is the way I've always wanted it to be. You know, one of the things, Mike, I've I've learned in these these three months of being a father is you got to separate you know, work from home. If I have a bad day at work, that doesn't matter as soon as, Ooh, yeah. as soon as I come in the door. So I'm curious, you know, what in anyone who's followed your career has, has is well aware of, of what went down uh, with the six. And I'm sure that that period was a challenge for you. So how, how did you separate what was going on in your professional life and how do you separate that uh, in, in terms of coming home and being a dad? Um, coming home to being a dad, that wasn't hard because for them it was like, oh, you're here a lot. This is cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's just been, you know, the occasional, um, you know, are you going back to work? Oh, what are you going back? Not, you know, not like they had tired of me, but just out of curiosity. Of course. But that's, yeah. that's, they've had that like, a, you know, 
I can count on one hand the amount of times I've been asked that question. But they looked at it as like, wait a second, daddy's taking me to school. Daddy's here when I get home. Uh, you know, daddy's here every weekend now. Uh, you know, whereas, especially, you know, during Sports Center, I would, um, I was here in the mornings before I took my oldest daughter to school, but I wouldn't get home until, you know, around eight o'clock at night, sometimes later. Um, and it would drive my wife crazy because I'd come in and I would wake the kids up uh, as they were, as she was just getting them to go to sleep because I hadn't seen them and I didn't want them, I didn't want them to go to bed without having seen them. And so uh, now they look at it as like, oh, this is just great. Dad's around. We're going on trips. We're hanging out. You know, dad and I are playing video games. Dad's at my practices. Mm -hmm. My wife loves it um, from the standpoint like she has some help sometimes. Yeah. More, more help than yeah. she did before. More help she did before. <laughs> there always been somebody that's help, yeah. but like more so yeah. now than, than before. Uh, the hardest part, you know, uh, has been, and as you know, there is no separating. Uh, if, if you are uh, a married parent, there's no separating being a husband from being a father. They, they, that that yeah. intersection is, is constant. The hardest part has been with my wife and just... The, the level of, 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 of uncertainty in terms of what's next. That's, that's been a challenge for her. Mm. Um, and just that's when we got to lean on, on our faith, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think what this, this situation has allowed you to do is be present. And that, that's something as fathers is one of the most important things um, in our role is just to be present for our kids. Um, and when it comes to the intersection of sports and fatherhood, Mike, being present is definitely an important uh, part of that. So explain to me how important it is for fathers to be involved in their kids' uh, athletic endeavors, whether it's, you know, going from the high school level all the way to the professional level. Um, you know, it's interesting because I got two, my older kids are Taekwondo kids. Um, mm -hmm. They're both black belts in Taekwondo. My youngest is a dancer. And my oldest daughter plays uh, middle school uh, for her middle school basketball team. My youngest, my, my son, excuse me, plays for the local rec team. So they really just started to get into uh, team sports. They're on they're on a taekwondo team, but that's an individual sport. But you know, um, they're they're starting to get into team sports now. I think going back to what I was saying earlier, that is the most important thing from a father standpoint is when it's a uh, is, is helping your children and guiding them into understanding how to deal with things not going their way. Because the vast majority of time in sports, things don't go your way, whether it's the playing time you expect, whether it's the position you want to play, whether it's a play not going as planned, whether it's a, whether you're losing a game. I mean, it's, we spend so much time when it comes to participation in sports dealing with disappointment. And so it's really up to the father to help a child uh, understand that that's part of the journey and that, you know, and, that, and that's part of the process uh, to not uh, be the type of person, um, you know, that allows every little setback, uh, you know, to keep them down. You know, that they, it's, it's really, I mean, I, I, to simply put, it's, it's more than just a cheerleader. But it's a confidant. It's somebody. It's a. It's a sports psychologist. Yeah. You got to be all those things. The most important, man. We got to raise good teammates. Like yeah. I said, for me, I just always wanted to be the best teammate that I could be. I made it a, a point to myself in my my work life to be the best teammate I could be, and I learned that from the playing field. For me, I'm, I I cheer on my son and his passing and his hustle and his defense. The thing I'm most proud of when it comes to my son as a basketball player is that my son loves to see his teammates succeed he loves when his teammates score yeah. he greets people when they come off the bench he cheers for his teammates he passes willingly he plays defense he dives on the floor he's the type of kid that you would want to pick to be on your team and it's my job to instill that kind of passion in him about being a great teammate so where do you think fathers mess up uh or fall short when it comes to that dynamic, the intersection of, of sports and being a father? Um, I think probably putting yourself in their shoes mm -hmm. and, and, and approaching it based on what you would do. Um, and, and trying too hard to, to make, make a point through sports. 
and pushing. And I'm not saying trying to trying to live out, you know, live out your fantasies through your kid. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like just pushing them past where they really want to go. So it's a fine line. It's a fine line between making them uphold a commitment, between making them, uh, you know, uh, you know, making sure they're disciplined and 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 have an attitude of perseverance and overcoming adversity and so on and so forth. But it's but kind of like demanding them to do something that they just don't really want to do and their heart's not in, that's not fair to them, you know? Right. Um, so I just, I've never pushed my child or, or demanded that they do something, you know? I mean, if, if they're w- within reason though, like, you know, like I'm not trying to encourage quitting, but if you're not, if you're not into it, the worst thing you do is half-ass it. You know, like the only rules I have, honestly, in my house are number one, don't lie to me. Number two, do your best in everything that you do. And if you're not going to do your best at it, don't do it. So I guess I'm a little liberal from the standpoint of like, you know, if my son's like, yo, I don't want to do this anymore. We'll talk it out. I'm like, you know, if that's how you really feeling, like, okay, that's cool. Like, I'm not going to say, no, you're going to play this sport. You're going to do this. Like, you're not quitting this team. You're like, well, you know, it's like. I want you to be completely invested in it, but also understand the regrets that would come with a hasty decision. Like my daughter wanted to quit Taekwondo a couple of years ago. I'm like, you're too good. Like you're too good at this. Yeah. And she was frustrated because she lost a sparring match or whatever. I'm like, you're too good at this. I'm like, look, let's kind of ease back. You don't have to go, you know, four nights a week now. Let's kind of ease back, maybe go once a week and revisit it, you know, as opposed to just like, no, hell no, you're going to listen to her. Maybe, you know, the short answer to your question is, you know, whether they mess up, maybe parents too often are doing the coaching as opposed to just listening to their kids when it comes to their athletic experience and their opinions. Mm. Too often it's like, I know everything. I play, Mm. even if you didn't play professionally, I've been your age. I played the sport. I know what I'm talking about. I was on a team. I've been through this. We always look at things the older we get and be like, well, I experienced the same thing. But they're different people experiencing those things. So we got to sometimes just shut up and listen to how they feel about their situations, their circumstances or their athletic experiences, positive or negative. You're, you're listening to Michael Smith today on The Fatherhood. We're talking about sports and fatherhood, having a great conversation. And thank, some, thank him once again for, for joining me. Mike, you, you throughout your career, you've obviously made a lot of uh, connections through, through your, your covering of the NFL and other sports. And a lot of those guys are great fathers in their own right. And we see in, see that more and more with, with social media. We see guys like Bron posting often um, yep. things he has going on with his family. Um, do you believe those guys are role models and should be kind of going back to that, that infamous Charles Barkley commercial? <laughs> uh, I do. Um, I will say this, you know, it wasn't until I became a dad or, and, and my, my, the light went off my son as it relates to his sports fandom. By the way, like, I'm rooting really hard for the Patriots. because, And not because I'm a Patriots fan. It's because my son is a Patriots fan because he was born in New England. My in-laws, you know, my wife's side of the family, they're Patriots fans. And last year, he cried. He was, really, he was so devastated when he lost to the Eagles last year as if he didn't just see them beat the Falcons the year before and the Seahawks back in 49. Like, he's seen them win Super Bowls before. Even this year when they lost to Pittsburgh, he was upset. I'm like, the season's not over. They'll be there at the end. So for his sake, I want them to win. But I say that to say, my my son really just, uh, like, I would say he's 10 now. I would say the last three, four years, three years probably, is when he really became an avid sports fan. Like, I want this guy's jersey. I want this sports video game. I want to watch this game. I want to go to this game. Like that wasn't always him before. You know what I mean? He was he was more into you know cartoons and that sort of thing. But I say that to say, so he's got this incredible jersey collection of NFL players, and I guess I never really thought about that whole dynamic, which other people have talked about for years about you know role models and my kid looks up to you until my son started buying players' jerseys. And then I, then I was like, okay, you know, let me put some, even though I'm not a fan, I'm like, I had to put some thought into whose jersey I was actually going to buy for him and be cool with him wearing. I actually, I was like, I was like, wow. And even though, look, man, these guys are people, 
they make mistakes. They're not perfect. They make, I, just because they make a lot of money and have athletic gifts doesn't mean we should hold them to a standard that that we don't live up to. You know, like I'm like, uh, I've never put my, I've never, you know, kicked a woman. But like Kareem Hunt's a man, I'm a man. You understand what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. what he yeah. just comes to mind. It's like you know the 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 latest pariah. He he's a man, I'm a man. We've all fallen short, right? My point is, it's like I'm, I'm looking. Even if you think somebody's a good guy. They have their own flaws in ways that you may just not know. So anyway, um, when he's buying jerseys, I'm like, okay, his favorite player is Odell. My son's got blonde hair because of Odell Beckham. <laughs> so when Odell, you know, was acting up, I was I looked at it a little differently because I've always supported Odell, and I've always supported his passion. I've always been a fan of his myself, but I just kind of like looked at it with a little more scrutiny. Let's put it that way. When you know, he would do certain things on the field or he would say certain things or whatever. I was like, all right, okay, you know, just making sure, do I need to explain this to my son? You know, when somebody gets suspended, you know, whether it's for performance enhancers or for domestic violence or whatever it is, I got to explain that to my kid. You know, I bought my son a Colin Kaepernick jersey. It was a great opportunity to explain him and, and, and what he was kneeling for and what he was standing for, figuratively speaking, to my kid. Um, Antonio Brown, you know, like I, he got Antonio Brown, he got Ty, he got all these guys jerseys. And so that's been the, the most interesting thing when it comes to, um, you know, my career, because I'm not your average fan. I mean, I know a lot of these guys and I, and I, and I, I have yeah. a different perspective on a lot of them. And so, you know, I find myself, I've always rooted for people. You know, I, people ask me, who's your favorite team? I don't have a favorite team. I, I root for the story. I root for people. Um, you know, I remember I got I got a chance to take my son to the Saints Rams game in the regular season in New Orleans. And my son only met one active player. He saw Marshall Falk, which was great, but he met one active player and he could not have met a better active player. He met Ben Watson. He, I mean, met is, is a, he took a picture with him before the game because I, I've known I've, I've known Ben since the Patriots drafted Ben. I, I was on the phone with Ben when he was holding out of training camp. Uh, and fired his agent and ended up signing late when he's the first round pick out of Georgia. I've known Ben. I've known Ben his whole career. So he and I are friends. So to have my son get a picture with him, knowing the kind of man, father, citizen he is, that's the type of thing that I got excited about in a way that I don't know that I would have truly appreciated had I not been a dad um, and, and my son had not come into his own as a fan, if that makes sense. Yeah, Michael Smith is joining me on The Fatherhood today, and I want to thank him. He's given a lot of us some who are listening, some great things to to talk about and think about and outstanding insight. But Mike, I, I can't let you go without asking you about what you think about the game on Sunday. Who do you have and why? You know what? I'm going to stick. I'm going I'm to pick with my heart, man. And again, my heart is my son and I'm going to pick the Patriots. I'm going to pick the Patriots because I need them to win because I don't want to have to console him if they lose. I mean, because he, <laughs> he, he takes things so hard and I just don't want to repeat it last year. Um, it's a full circle Super Bowl for me. My first Super Bowl out of college, uh, back in my hometown in New Orleans, was Saints Rams uh, in the Superdome. So it's kind of interesting to see mm-hmm. them go at it again with Belichick and Brady still at the helm. Um, I, I, I'm going to go Patriots strictly with my heart, man, because I, I need them to win for for peace in my house, which every father knows that is the primary goal. You just want peace, if possible, quiet, but you just want peace. Absolutely, man. I think that this, that's a great point that we can end on. Mike, tell people what you have going on, how they can reach you, and anything you want to plug. Hey, man, look, you know, these days, uh, like I was telling Jamar off uh, off Mike, uh, I'm popping up here and there uh, on ESPN. You know, uh, I'm still employed by ESPN, uh, just not doing anything daily. Uh, so, you know, but you can follow my, my, my adventures on social media. I'm at Michael Smith on Twitter at the Michael Smith on Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram. And uh but really, you know, I'm just doing a lot of traveling nowadays. I wish I could take y'all with me to some of these places, but I'm taking my kids <laughs> and raising global citizens and uh giving them all sorts of experiences. So uh, you know I'm I'm li- I'm I'm living the dream right now. Uh a dream that I that I didn't even know I had, which is to 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 have a, an amazing family and and really all the credit goes to my wife. I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I left this podcast without talking about what an amazing wife I have, uh, mm. amazing mother she is, because 
Uh, and there are plenty of fathers. Shout out to the dads doing it alone. But I'm not one of them. And she makes me a better <laughs> father. She certainly, you know, speaking of great teammates, she covers up for a lot of my shortcomings, a lot of my mistakes. Um, those times when she has left the kids alone with me for extended periods of time, they lucky to get well-balanced meals. Um, <laughs> so, you know, she is a, she is an incredible woman. Um, she's been extremely supportive of me uh, throughout my career and through this transition period that I'm going through right now. And at the same time, raised three amazing children. All the credit goes to her. I just get to, you know, have fun and, you know, be the good cop most of the time. So uh, shout out to Sarah. Sarah is, is the real uh, is the is a real MVP of this, of this family. Sounds good, man. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough, man. I appreciate you coming on and dropping some wisdom on on on, on me and our listeners. I've always looked up to you, and I thank you so much for joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. Hey, thank you so much, man. This means as much to me as it does to you. Uh, always a fan. I'm pulling for you, and and you know, just happy to be a part of this. I love it. I love what you're doing, and I love where this is going, and it's it's, it's going places. So keep it up. I want to thank Michael Smith for joining me today on the Fatherhood Podcast. And as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that definitely helps um, with the visibility of the show. And we're definitely trying to continue to build the Fatherhood Podcast. As far as for the game tomorrow, uh, I'm going to go against my better judgment and say Rams 34, Patriots 28. You know, Tom Brady, for as good as he is, he's always struggled uh, in the Super Bowl against dominant D-line. If you remember those losses against the Giants the nascar package they had and i just think with with aaron donald and and donald sue he'll definitely have his work cut out for him tomorrow and i also think that todd Gurley uh will have a bounce back game but we'll see i just i just hope uh it's a good game either way until next time family as always thanks for listening i'm jamar hudson and this is the fatherhood